What is up, everyone? You are listening to the It's Called Soccer podcast. This week is going to be a live episode right after the U.S. men's national team took on Uruguay. We have myself, Jake, in London, Ryan, our man on the ground in Germany, and a special guest this week, Sam Stokes from the Yank Report. So let's get into the post-game breakdown and talk about the Morocco and Uruguay games. But first, a word from our sponsors, Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball championship finals, the NHL hockey conference finals, Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news and even next season's early NFL futures, and of course, the best sport in the world, soccer. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. and Uruguay have tied nil-nil. There was a, uh, a lot of talk about the Uruguay's starting 11, and we'll get into the U.S.'s starting 11, what happened throughout the game, the biggest moments, uh, and things that stood out to us. Quick note, Sam Stokes from the Anchor Fort is joining us. Um, we'll see where he's at in a few moments. As soon as he joins, he'll jump in. But we have myself, Jake, it's called Soccer, joining you from London Ryan is our man in Germany on the ground. Um, Ryan, before we get into like initial uh, deep dives into players and what happened, just overall, what were your thoughts on the game? How did the U.S. do? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I think it was we wanted uh, to see how we matched up against a tough opponent. We needed a learning experience like this definitely before the World Cup. Um, but, you know, overall, I think there's there's a lot to take, take away from a game like this. The announcers were talking about that the last game or last time we lost a game was that 3-0 loss against Mexico. And so it's been a long time since we've had a lot of film to go back and look over. And I think this will be the perfect opportunity to do that for the squad. Yeah. Sam, I know you're just joining us, but uh, overall thoughts. We just started here. So overall thoughts on the U.S. performance against Uruguay. Overall thoughts, I think, well, coming into the game, there were a lot of folks who were expecting Uruguay to just smash us, so uh, that didn't happen. I felt like there were some players who were kind of being tested out there that we got good things from. There were some players that were being tested out there that we got bad things from, Uh, so we learned a little bit about uh, some of the players on the roster, but overall, I think... um, this reminds me a lot of what we'll see in a World Cup game where both sides got their chances. Um, it was hard fought in some areas. It was kind of slow in other areas. Uh, but this is, the, I mean, this is soccer. You got to take your opportunities whenever you get them. I think both sides had big opportunities but didn't put them away. Uh, so we end up with this draw. Yeah, we said in the pregame preview, uh, as long as we had a better result than Mexico, I think I'd be okay <laughs> with with it. And uh, so Mexico loses to Uruguay 3-0. The U.S. Yeah. ties 0-0. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily the best roster from Uruguay to start the match, but I think like still Darwin Nunez is up top. He's playing against Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, Joe Scali, and DeAndre Edlin. This is a striker that's going to be sold. If he's sold for anything less than $75 million in this transfer window, I'll be surprised. So it's not all bad. 
for what Uruguay was putting on the pitch. And I thought in the first half, we looked really good. We had moments that were really good. And parts of that came from bouncing back when Uruguay had us pinned in our own half and starting to shift momentum. So, Sam, you said this is a match that would remind you of something that would happen in a World Cup. I completely agree. Where the momentum was shifting, it ebbs and flows every five or mm -hmm. ten minutes, and we needed to find a rhythm, which we did in the first half for the most part. Um, guys, before we go into position by position, who whose stock rose in these last two matches for you? Maybe Sam, we'll, we'll start with you. Uh, I think a big one would have to be Sean Johnson because I think, I mean, I didn't have much of opinion of him at all coming into this game. He gets a big save. Uh, I thought his distribution out of the back was was brave and uh, he did well at times. Uh, there were some, mo I mean, there was a moment where he hit a really nice ball to DeAndre Yedlin who mishandled it on the sideline. Uh, so I came away really impressed with uh, with um, with Sean Johnson. I thought Aaron Long for uh, all the criticism that he's gotten uh, handled himself pretty well. And I think if we're looking at the uh, the four center backs that we've seen, let's put Walker Zimmerman aside. I think Aaron. Long has just as much of an argument for more playing time as anybody else, maybe more so than other uh, contenders in this moment. So I think uh, his his stock rose. I think I think everybody else pretty much stayed where I had them before, honestly. Yeah, Ryan, how about you? Anyone else? Uh, well, stock rise definitely is going to be for me. Walker's never made. I think we knew what we had in him in his one v one defending, but we've never seen him pass like he has in these last two games, and it's been really impressive to see. Uh, you know, that was one thing that I was kind of concerned about with Zimmerman and Long at the back, and I think you saw in the beginning of the match with Uruguay pressing, and we were really struggling to get the ball out of the back and a lot of route one soccer. Um, but, you know, we settled into it a little bit. And as we started to break them down, they didn't quite press as much. So, you know, overall, I think Zimmerman is definitely a big winner from from this camp for me. Yeah. And a player that will we need to talk about, because if you asked anyone whose stock fell, if anybody, they'll probably say Joe, Joe Scally. I know, Ryan, before the game, you were really excited to see him start this match. And maybe it was because of Jedi's illness. Maybe it was because Scally needed to get a full run out with this squad. Um, but I'll just ask Ryan, like, I know you're excited. What did you see from him today? Because he's probably going to be the player that gets talked about a lot and gets pointed out a lot for some of his mistakes. Yeah, I definitely think he'll be a, a huge topic of conversation going forward. Uh, but I think we saw a 19-year-old getting his first start with the USMNT. He looked, uh, you know, a little bit shaky in times. When he did decide to, you know, push up the field, uh, you saw it very early on. He tried to press uh, Varela on the left-hand side, but gave him too much space, let him turn and play the ball. That's a learning moment. You saw him kind of press up into the middle a little bit to try to win a header. Didn't win it, and he left us exposed at the back. One thing I found interesting, and I don't, I don't know if this was part of Greg's plan, but I thought it was a good point, is he's talked about one of the reasons that Scally hasn't been brought in is because, you know, he, he took a little bit of time picking up the system. So I don't know if anyone else saw, but, you know, he played left back in the first half on the sideline with Greg, and then he switched over to the right side, you know, later on in the second half. But at all times, you could see him interacting with Greg on the sideline. And I think that was a great way for Greg to kind of coach him in through the game. We saw some moments of weakness from him. But also when you see him on the ball, you can see the technical skills are definitely there. You know, again, he's 19. I think he's definitely got a lot of room to grow. So is he going to have enough growth by the time November 21st rolls around? But, you know, I think we'll, we'll, we have time to see. Yeah. 
Is there anyone else other than Scally, though, that can really fit in that position to back up our fullbacks? I feel like if if anything, this game kind of showed that is where maybe our depth really needs to get. Um, we need a few more players to just bulk up some of that depth in that fullback position. Is there anyone else or is, do we just need to keep throwing Joe Scally out there and getting him experience? I was disappointed that DeWan Jones didn't get an opportunity in this camp. I feel like he could have potentially stepped in. I mean, he's uh, got a little bit more experience than Joe Scally, uh, but I mean, who knows? I mean, uh, he didn't get the opportunity. Bello didn't get the opportunity. We haven't seen anybody else step up in that position uh, for the left back. I think at this point, it's Serginho Des is the backup left back. Um, I, I haven't seen anything to convince me otherwise. Uh, one th- more thing on Scally that I, I, I was really disappointed in. It felt like in the buildup, whenever the ball would get to Scally, and it was it was Scally's opportunity to either take space or, or make that progressive pass. Uh, he didn't look very brave in possession at all and would often turn around and, and pass it right back to, to the center back or to Sean Johnson. I mean, there was one moment in particular whenever he was playing left back uh, that he had a lot of space in front of him, ran up, stopped, turned around, played back Aaron Long, who wasn't in a great position. Aaron Long played back to Sean Johnson. It was a really dangerous moment. Uh, Sean Johnson ends up coming out and yelling at Aaron Long. I really felt like that was kind of scally, just putting the whole team in a bad spot. And there were a few moments like that where he was not very brave in his progressive passing out of the back. Uh, I don't know how much of that is uh, getting his first start, uh, how much of that is playing against an Uruguayan team with some incredibly scary attackers. Uh, and facing that level, but it was something that absolutely jumped off the field to me. It felt like he was a notch below everybody else on the field, and that's a bit surprising considering uh, his pedigree and the season that he had uh, for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those safer passes are probably going to be a product of someone that's trying to not make mistakes, but the rest of the team was playing really brave. You saw us really try to play out of the back at moments, and we succeeded. We were playing some really good one-touch passing, uh, we had some flick-ons to put us into dangerous positions in the attacking third. Um, so, guys, I see all the comments there just buzzing in, so we're going to try to get to as many as possible. Um, but maybe we'll just start from back to front and talk about Sean Johnson. It was a su- surprise to a lot of us that Sean Johnson was going to be starting this game over Ethan Horvath, who a lot of us have pinned as the second goalkeeper in this camp. But, I mean... Just watching that game, Sean Johnson seemed very confident in himself. I think if if not good with his feet, he was brave with his feet and his passing opportunities. And that one save that he had uh, towards the end of the game that kept us at 0-0 was really important. Obviously, the, the shot was going to be right at his feet. That's what a lot of people will say, that the shot was easy. He didn't have to do anything, but he still had to come across his goal and put himself in the right position to make that save. So... Guys, what did you think of Sean Johnson? Did he, like is he now in the conversation or what he's he's going to be 32, 33 soon? Um yeah, is he does he have a future with this team? I think it's hard to say at this point. I you know, I don't think we should try to take too many big things away from one performance, but it was a very good performance from him. Uh, personally, I thought he was a little bit shaky with his feet. For instance, the you know, the ball was played to him under pressure. Uh, from long in the back and he took that extra touch kind of put himself in a bad spot first one he played real short which was over almost a turnover but that's just a couple things here and there uh i don't know that he's necessarily in the conversation to be the starter as of right now 
But, you know, if time's running short and he definitely did himself a favor and potentially earned himself another look. Yeah, Sam, where does he stand for you? Yeah, I, I can't see anybody getting upset with him getting a, a, a call into Qatar. I mean, uh, of the keepers that we've seen dress for the U.S. men's national team in the last few years, the only one that makes me nervous whenever he's between the pipes at this point is Stefan. Uh, honestly, he's the only one that I've really had seen having consecutive shaky moments. Uh, Sean Johnson just stepped in and kind of uh, proved to everybody why he's been in consideration and why he keeps getting these call-ups. Uh, so I, I don't see any issue with him uh, being the third keeper or even the second keeper. Uh, and if he ends up starting some games in Qatar, I, I, then again, you know, we, we said uh, in the pregame show that, you know, one game is not a whole lot to deter make many determinations about a player. But I think considering his age, considering his consistency uh, in MLS and, and, and considering how good the quality of opponent was and just how brave he was on the field with the ball at his feet. I mean, I, I don't I don't see any reason to take marks off of Sean Johnson in this game. Yeah, for sure. And we talked about uh, Joe Scali. We talked about Walker Zimmerman stock rising. I mean, Walker Zimmerman is at the top of the depth chart for me. So if his stock rose at all, he more just cemented his place as that number one center back uh, in the middle of our defense. Aaron Long, I mean, questionable at times, wasn't very progressive with his passing, but still at the same time, second game in a row where we don't give up any goals. There weren't necessarily great chances for Uruguay early on in the first half, even though they had some really dangerous possessions. There wasn't uh, the, the big chance for them was that one in the second half that Sean Johnson saved. So for me, like Aaron Long, maybe he's doing enough to get himself into place. But at the same time, you, you still have to think about the John Brookses of the world, um, EPB and Chris CCB. Richards. Yeah, Chris Richards yeah. still has to come into camp. I mean, it, there there's a lot to do for Aaron Long still in my mind to be on this roster, but I feel like for Greg, there's maybe less to do for Aaron Long to go to Qatar. Um, maybe let's just talk quickly about DeAndre Yedlin uh, started on the right side of our defense. I don't even know what to say about DeAndre Yedlin. He, I didn't really see him that much, and maybe that's a good thing if you're playing in defense. Um, but Sam, did DeAndre Yedlin sway you at all today? I found it interesting with uh, Yedlin and Scally as the fullbacks. It, I, I, it looked to me like whenever we started the game, we had our fullbacks a little bit further up the field, and we were just getting lit up by the uh, big switches, especially to that uh, side Scally was playing on, and, and Uruguay got a bunch of chances early on. And it seemed like within like the first 10, 15 minutes, there was a, a, a change of initiative and the fullbacks came further back and we were playing in more of like a 4-3-3 shape uh, as opposed to that shape with the uh, fullbacks going really high up the field. Uh, so I, that was one thing that I noticed in, in the game. As far as Yedlin, I, I think the, the, uh, we know what we're going to get from Yedlin. I think uh, he's, he's fine as a, a deputy at right back, but he's not going to give you nearly as much going forward as, uh, as Serginho Des. I don't think that he gives you as much defensively as um as Reggie Cannon at this point uh I think that his main weapon his entire career has been his speed and I don't think his speed is quite at that elite level anymore uh so for me at, at this point I, th I think he's the third right back and and potentially like a vibes guy for the locker room uh is where I'm at on DeAndre Yedlin I think he's not only the vibes guy but he might be with John Brooks out, he's going to be the only player that has played in a World Cup before for the U.S. So if John Brooks isn't going to be on the roster and it's looking more and more like he won't be, 
then DeAndre Edlin is kind of the de facto veteran of the squad that that will have been in Brazil uh, in the World mm-hmm. Cup. Nobody else on this roster will have been there. Um, Ryan, was there anything else from the defense that stuck out to you? Um, no, I think Sam crushed it. And also what you said about Yedlin all kind of really hits home. I think, like like was said, he's, he's a great deputy. He's a great seasoned veteran that we can bring in the squad. It seems like he really does a great job. There was a, a cool, was it with him, I think? There was a cool video of uh, McKenney doing like basketball passes back and forth that you could yeah. see. And so, and, and Yedlin was in there too. So you could see it, you know, he's definitely bringing the mood up. Every time they cut to him on the sideline when he's not starting, you know, he's chumming it up with the other guys, got that big grin on his face. Um, you know, he, I, I agree as also with what Sam said of, you know, I don't know that the elite speed is there anymore. And that was always his ace up his sleeve. Um, but besides that, no, for another old takes from the back, except uh, for me, I think what we saw when we were getting pressed and really, really struggled playing out of the back, uh, to me, it highlighted how much we need Chris Richards, and he's got to be the starting left center back for me. Yeah, for sure. All right, I'm going to switch it up and throw a wild card into the mix. We're not going to the midfield next. We're going to the front three. Uh, Christian Pulisic, Jesus Ferreira, and Timothy Weah start this game. Timothy Weah, I mean, th- this guy might need to start over Gio Reyna at the right wing position. I mean, he is he is one of those people one of those players for me that just is an X factor. He's next level as compared to everyone else on the pitch, including some really good defenders on Uruguay that he just blazed past. There was one where he did a step over, fainted, and then moved to the right and got past his defender. So just incredible from him. Um, I'm just going to start there, starting three, because I want to talk about Paul Ariola's performance when he came on as a sub what did you guys see from the the front three? Ryan, maybe we'll start with you. Well, you definitely took the words right out of my mouth again there, Jake. Uh, I've, got, I've got written down from when I was watching in the 24th, 24th minute, beautiful step over from Wea. You could just tell the guys feeling really confident coming out of a hot end of the season. It's really transitioned over to the squad. Um, I think, you know, right now and even with uh, a healthy Geo, yeah, he's definitely, I think, our most exciting right winger. Uh, personally, for me, I, I would like to see Geo in the middle a little bit. And Greg, you know, has talked a lot about having the false nine. Uh, so potentially could Geo slot into a situation like that. Uh, if we're trying to, you know, really maximize how we can use our best players and, and get the best out of the team. Um, right now, yeah, Wea is is on fire and cannot be stopped. You can tell every single time he's getting the ball, he's looking to dribble at people or put a shot on goal. And, you know, when we were having a little bit of struggle struggle in the second half, breaking down and like we didn't have a lot of possession or breaking down that low block they had, it's players like Wea that can create that space and potentially get into behind to help open things up. Yeah. And Sam, we'll get to you in a second. We do have a donation from Paul Barry. Thank you so much for the five bucks, the five buckaroonies. Greg has turned USA from a team that hopes to win to a team that expects to win. And I'm going to keep us on the front three. Sam, is one of those reasons because we have Champions League quality in the wing positions in the midfield now for the U.S. is should we go to the World Cup expecting some really good results against some incredible teams? Well, from the the chatter that I hear in the uh, press conferences with the players and with Greg, it sounds like they've always expected to win. It's the uh, fan base that's coming along and uh, figuring this out at this point. Um, I, I think that 
this was a really interesting game uh, for the front three because throughout World Cup qualifying for a long time, whenever we'd see Christian Pulisic on the wing, we would see him with Anthony Robinson overlapping and him a bit more tucked in. In this game, we didn't have Anthony Robinson and Joe Scally sat back uh, for a lot of the game. So Christian had wide open spaces on that left flank. And there were periods of this game where he was very influential, uh, whether he was taking players out one-on-one uh, -on -one out wide or if he was dropping in and kind of becoming more of that distributor, uh, more of a 10 in the midfield so he he was electric uh as far as Tim Weah yeah I mean he's he's been doing it throughout World Cup qualifying and his threat of uh the overlap on the right side has been absolutely tremendous uh I, I think we see that the way this team is set up with Christian Pulisic on that left side and Christian Pulisic being naturally right-footed player he tends to be the one that's cutting in and coming into the midfield while, while Tim Weah who's that right-footed player is getting to the end line a whole lot more and we saw that in this game I think once again for the uh the second game in a row and i think this is building on on being a few games in a row for the u.s uh the front three pressed really well they caused problems in the build-up for the opposition they created a bunch of chances it's just once again about putting those chances away and i'm sure we're going to talk about that in a second yeah let's let's go to that because if joe scally is the number one point of contention jesus ferrer is going to be the second uh, for the second game in a row, he gets some really good opportunities and can't put one into the net. Haji writes right there behind him, but in my mind, didn't necessarily show well in that substitute appearance. But like for me, it's really difficult to come into those situations as a striker. Uh, the formation change for Uruguay, the U.S. made two or three changes at a time. So I would have liked to see Haji Wright start this game for the U.S. so that we could see a true run out for him. But Jesus Ferreira, if he was... You know, trying to get himself cemented into this starting lineup as the number nine probably didn't do himself any favors. Sam, I'm going to start with you because I know oh, you're I a bet huge you are. Ferreira <laughs> fan. Um, you know, are you going to are you going to defend Jesus Ferreira, or where do you stand on his status as the number nine right now? The first thing I'll say for Jesus Ferreira is I think that the best thing that happened for Jesus Ferreira in this game was the uh, substitution of Haji Wright and Haji Wright coming on and just not making much of an impact at all. Uh, so I'll start there. Uh, I thought in the game against Uruguay, we saw a Haji Wright that was holding up play really well, that had some really nice touches, uh, that was kind of combining well, which is things we weren't expecting from Haji Wright, but we didn't necessarily see that in this game. He looked, uh, his movement was a little bit, I don't know, it, it the, the, the teammates were having trouble finding him. Then again, the whole the whole attack for the U.S. kind of suffered in that second half. Uh, but I think it should be noted that the, whenever uh, Jesus Ferreira is on the field, the team is just consistently creating chances and they seem to be working well off of each other. Now, as far as Jesus Ferreira, I'll tell you, the guy needs to put these chances away. Like, he's got to start scoring goals. Uh, the flip side of that is always going to be that strikers miss chances, that everybody misses chances, that Edson Cavani, who has just about every skin on the wall that a player can have, one of the great strikers of his generation, missed the game-winning opportunity at the end of the game uh, and, and didn't seal it there. I mean, we talked before this game uh, in the pregame about that opportunity that Christian Pulisic had against Mexico. He didn't put it away. And then Christian went back to his club team at Chelsea and had a few high-profile opportunities where he didn't put it away. Players miss chances. And it is compounded 
by the fact that we're in this um, this tight U.S. men's national team schedule. We don't get to see these players a lot. So every miss, every miss opportunity gets blown up to a, a high degree, and it's something that we think about. I do think that the law of XG is going to win out over time, and eventually the ball is going to bounce off of his face and go into the goal as opposed to bouncing off his face and going off somewhere else that the ball I forget who put it in was it Musa put in a nice ball right at his feet and it just missed his outstretched leg uh I, I feel like over time those are going to go in and they're going to uh he's going to get those goals for the U.S. but I will say for for all you guys out there he's got to start putting these chances away it is a concern but at the same time Haji Wright didn't do any self, himself any favors in uh in staking his claim in the starting uh striker role for the U.S. moving forward. Yeah, Ryan, I'm curious what you think. Is is Jesus Ferrer still the number one, number nine, number one, number nine in your eyes? Um, I don't know that he, I, I don't know, and not specifically a shot at him, but I don't know that anybody's actually staked their claim for that position yet. Yes, Ferrer was super hot to start the MLS season. He's tied with the most goals for anybody in the MLS, and he's still just a 21-year-old striker. Like, I know we're really hyper-focused on this upcoming World Cup, and as we should be, but also, too, strikers tend to be players that develop a little bit later, too. So with how well he has been playing with the other things, other things that I've praised Josh Sargent for and been a huge Josh Sargent like, fan in the past, of the off-ball, the off-ball pressing, the motor he brings, and, you know, he's creating space for other people. When he does get, a lot of times you'll see way of push to the end line. And it's always Christian coming in from the left, cutting across right till about like the penalty dot. And the only reason that space is open is because you have players like Ferreira or Sargent that are making those good runs in behind. So, I mean, exactly like Sam said, yeah, he's got to finish those chances. And I, I would even say I would have liked to see him finish one in the previous match as well. So those little things hurt. Uh, and they definitely stack up against him. But I think this does, you know, kind of put a little bit of doubt as because I think for Greg, he was like pretty much locked in as the as the number nine. But again, who else do we have right now that people feel super confident in? Greg has said multiple times he's going to play the players that are starting and the players that are hot. And right now that player is Ferreira. We're just going to have to keep our eyes peeled as we're going forward. You know, hopefully the start of September, we do see Sargent maybe come on in the championship. You see Haji hopefully continue his great form in Turkey. Or, you know, Ferreira continues to rip it up in MLS and ends up winning the Golden Boot. All those are possibilities, exactly like you guys said in the pregame. I don't think we need to overreact too much to this one. I'm not going to lose faith in Scali, but I'm also not going to lose faith in Ferreira, too. I think he's earned a spot in the squad especially if we expand to 26, but form's going to have to continue. And as long as he, you know, is the front runner for golden boot in MLS, it's pretty hard to say a guy like that doesn't deserve to be in the squad. Yeah, absolutely. Can and I, I yeah. want to ask you guys a question. I want to switch this around, put it, put it to you guys. <laughs> uh, and I'll start with Jake. I'll be the host all of a sudden. Uh, after this, the, the two games, the game against Morocco and the game against Uruguay, are, do you, I mean, is there a doubt that Jesus Ferreira can play at this level, that he can create chances in a World Cup and he can be a part of a squad that uh, is creating chances as a front three? Are, are you concerned about that at this point? I have no doubts. I have no doubts that Jesus Ferreira can play at that level. And the reason why is because this was a tightly contested game that was as even as you can ask for in an international competition. And again, 
Darwin Nunez, who is going to be sold by Benfica for 70 plus million dollars. Edinson Cavani, a Man United striker, misses one at the very end. They had less chances with great players around them in the midfield creating for them than Jesus Ferreira did. Nobody scored. So I have no I have no worries. I have no qualms that Jesus Ferreira can play at this level. I just need somebody to put some goals in the back <laughs> of the net as a number nine. Uh, I, I Honestly, even Paul Areola, like he's probably the bottom of my chart for everybody on the squad right now in June. It, you know, if he sees the field in Qatar, that's not great for us, but that's that still levels eons above what we brought to the 2014 World Cup or 2010 World Cup. So there's development there, there's improvement there. But for me, like Jesus Ferreira is still, it, he's more than capable of playing at the very elite level. Yeah, for me, the only concern I have a little bit with him, but it's it's not massive, is there's a couple times very early in the match, and you're going to see this from a lot of young players, but Godin definitely big-brothered him a couple times in the beginning. You could tell he hasn't gone up against center backs like that before, or you could just tell that the veteran player in that, in a couple situations, definitely used his experience to get the better of Ferreira. Uh, again, I still think he's a young guy and the talent's there. So he, as long as he continues his hot form and hopefully learns from experience like this, and I have no doubt that he will. And so I think the trajectory remains upward for him. Absolutely. Yes, it was a rough match for him. But overall, I see the trajectory being positive going forward. It's just going to all depend on who, you know, the other players. Like there was a great shout. I didn't see who it was. Everyone has totally forgotten about Ricardo Pepe at this point. Um, and, and let me tell you how hard it is to move to Germany and, and try to embrace like a new culture. You don't even know what you're buying in the grocery store anymore. You can't read a single sign. So it's, it's a tough transition. So it's going to be really interesting to see how even a player like Pepe continues to start in the beginning of next year. There's going to be a lot of competition, and I think that's why Greg has set himself up nicely with all of his quotes saying that we're going to play the hot hand and kind of whoever's getting minutes and scoring. Yeah. I think the fact that the door's open hopefully has some motivation being kicked uh, the striker's way. But yeah, some also, of that might be... There you go. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there, Jake. Yeah. I was just going to say yeah. about Haji, too, though. Uh, you know, every, like There's been a lot of comments about how rough the second half was. I think we overall as a team looked very poor in the second half. Uh, so I'm not necessarily going to hang that on Haji. We've got a couple more games coming up, and I'm really I'm really hoping he gets you know a full 75 minute run out in one of those games. Yeah, and you guys are doing you guys are making my job easy because I wanted to talk about the drop off in creative quality once Paul Ariola came on for Timothy Weah, and the fact that Haji Wright had to play the striker with Paul Ariola as his winger on that right side. Um, that was a huge drop off. It didn't. It wasn't just because Paul Ariola was bad. It was because Timothy Way was playing so well, also. But I mean that that to me had to spell some type of end for the the level of quality that Paul Ariola brings. I think too we haven't seen Christian Roldan at all this this camp yet, even though he's on the roster. I think that level of player is starting to fall off a bit. We've seen Sebastian Lynchette be filtered out. We've seen. Uh, in the past, you know, Will Trap, Michael Bradley, Jackson Ewell start to be filtered out of this team. Um, we we have other players that can play the wing. If Gio Reyna is healthy, Paul Ariola has to be off this roster, right? 
Yeah, I, I, you guys mentioned getting little brother earlier. I thought, I mean, Brendan, uh, <laughs> Paul Ariola looked like somebody's <laughs> little brother on the field a few times. He got ragdolled. Now, the the biggest little brother on the day, I think, was uh, was Luca Della Torre. Whenever Edson Cavani just planted him into the ground and took <laughs> off with the ball, uh, like a like a bully stealing somebody's lunch money. Or, I mean, that was rough. But it, on Paul Ariola, yeah, I think I think you nailed it in that if Gio Reyna is healthy, it's not a conversation that Paul Ariola is not on the field in this game. I thought it was really interesting, um, once again, to kind of creep into Greg's mind that the substitutions at halftime was Aronson and Ariola on, uh, with Aronson once again returning to that midfield role, as opposed to Luca De La Torre and Aronson, where Aronson would come on for Wea and De La Torre would go into that midfield role. Uh, it, it just continues to show that I don't think that Greg Berhalter uh, trusts in Luca De La Torre as much as the fan base seems to at this point. Uh, just another piece of evidence, I think, uh, building towards that. Luca De La Torre wouldn't even have come on if it wasn't for uh, just whatever the weirdness with the substitutions <laughs> that happened uh, at this point. But yeah, I, there I think some weird I agree. In this match. <laughs> Yeah, the I agree. I, incident. <laughs> I think Ariola, for all his effort and for all his running, uh, just was not physically up to up for it at this level. I think he got bodied off the ball way too easily and just um, just was not physically up for it. And, and his technical ability, we know, is not going to uh, come close to that of Tim Weah's. Uh, so I, I think uh, the big thing in this particular conversation is can Gio Reyna get healthy? If Gio Reyna gets healthy, the substitutions that, that, that Greg Berhalter can bring on are, are a little bit different and I think are um, much more favor- favorable for the U.S. Miss National Team. Yeah, and just to flip that a little bit for Ryan, is the door still open for someone like Josh Sargent? I mean, in a, in a tw- I'd have to like really lay out all 26. Uh, I'm very excited to see how he performs in the championship. Uh, you know, I, I know Berhalter tends to rate players that are performing in the championship. He spoke very highly of DK when he was dominating at Burnley. So I think that if Sargent comes out, the door is definitely open. But we talked about it on the last podcast. Like the, the midfield is getting super packed. It's extremely hard to fit your way in there. So when players have positional versatility, guys like Aronson and Gio, that's what gets you onto a World Cup squad. Like I think for Areola being kind of a one-trick pony a little bit and, and only being able to play one position and his one like big strength is, yep, he's got a big motor. So I think if that's all you bring to the table for a World Cup squad, I don't know if that's going to be enough and it's a great position for us to be in. Yeah. And so let's move to the midfield now. You mentioned uh, Brendan Aronson coming in at the eight again. We also started the MMA midfield since uh, Weston McKinney's broken bone in his foot. What did you guys make? I I thought we did pretty well in the first half, kind of, again, seizing back control uh, and giving some of our forward players some space to move. But it just uh, it wasn't the same dominance that we saw against Morocco. Uh, What did you guys see? Maybe, Ryan, we'll start with you. What did you see from the MMA midfield? Uh, I saw what was one of the better performances from Adams progressing the ball forward. A lot of times he got the ball and turned on it, and I thought he looked really good doing so. Uh, sometimes, you know, he's, he is quick to play back, or this time he actually had time to turn, and there was two or three times he actually dribbled by a player. We don't see that too often from him, so that was super exciting. Uh, McKenney, I think we saw a guy that's coming back from injury and is a little bit rusty. 
almost had an absolute golazo though. And but and also too, like the little heel passes he had and like little flicks, you could you see the talent and you know it's there. But yeah, he's just a guy that's a little bit out of form right now. It's the middle of the summer. He played what two games at the end of the season when he came back for Juve. Um, so you know, I'm not too worried about Weston looking a little bit rusty. And then Musa, man, he's just, we don't have another player in our squad like Musa. And when we're talking about, you guys were talking about in the pregame, kind of actually, Sam, you were noting on this a lot, how you like to have the the different profile of players and being able to switch up the styles that we're playing. He is such a unique player in our squad. Uh, the couple of little notes that I would love to see out of him is maybe, you know, at, when he makes those long runs, he does have a tendency to hold on to it for just a little bit too long. But you're going to keep hearing this for a little while because our team is just so young. Like he's another guy that, you know, he's only 18, 19. So, again, a young man that still has a, a very bright future ahead of him. Just clean up a couple things here and there, because if he does lay off that pass at the last second on that run he had, I think it was in like the 28th minute. Um, if he lays that off, man, like, yeah, we're, we're praising him. Overall, I think a super strong match out of our MMA midfield. I think it continues to confirm that if we're going to play the 4-3-3, then that's our, our definitely locked in starting three. Yeah. Sam, is it locked in? Does nobody else have a place in that midfield? Uh, I think, I think it's a very strong option. I, uh, once again, I do like the, uh, the, the look with cannon on the field and kind of what that can bring, uh, depending on what you're looking for, uh, for a matchup. But I do think that the MMA midfield is probably your number one option, uh, moving forward. Uh, I'll, I'll jump right on what you were saying about Musa, man. I, this kid has been unbelievable. I mean, when we talk about the stars on this team, we tend to talk about the players who have achieved a lot at the club level, and Musa hasn't really done that. But as far as play for the U.S. Men's National Team over the last year throughout World Cup qualifying, I mean, this guy's been unbelievable for us uh, for what he's brought to this team and what he does game in and game out. Uh, we were talking before the game about seeing uh, maybe a midfielder drops in in a three-man back three man back line for the buildup. I saw Musa dropping in a lot and, and I, I felt like that seemed right because he's just so damn good in the buildup and there there were a couple moments in the game where the U.S. didn't seem to have uh, really creative passing out of the back and the option was just dump it off to Musa let him beat three or four guys in the midfield and then we're away like that's the plan and I'll be damned if it didn't work just like over and over again. The guy is incredibly talented, and it's crazy how he's not getting more opportunities with Valencia. Uh, that's got to change moving forward, man, because he's just so good whenever he's in a U.S. jersey. Uh, I'll agree with what was said about Wesson McKinney. Um, it, it was interesting that uh, it, the, it looked like the U.S. got McKinney involved in the attack a little bit more than I'm used to seeing, uh, and, and McKinney had some good moments, and you could tell that there's some creativity and some spark a ton of bravery uh, in Wes McKinney's play, but you could see the rust here and there on a few passes there. I mean, there was this one moment where the ball came to him and he was outside the box and he had a couple of runners in front of him and he took a terrible left-footed shot whenever he could have just played somebody in. Uh, that, that was a moment that stuck out to me and there were a couple of others where he's a bit rusty, but we know that the weapon that he's going to be moving forward. And, and yeah, I mean, I always gush about Tyler Adams and what he brings off the ball for this team and, and in distribution he was pretty damn solid today as well. So one of the better games in recent memory for Tyler Adams uh, on yeah. the ball. 
I still can't believe Jake, we, we got the dual national Yunus Musa to commit so early in place. Such a, a strong role for the U.S. Yeah, it's awesome. A uh, question I have for, for you guys. So this is another game we've seen with Tyler Adams with the captain's armband. Is, is it a debate at all right now? Or is, if he's on the field, is he the captain of this team for you? You go ahead, Sam. Uh, I, I don't, it seems like with this team, it's been a rotating armband and I think it's going to be between Adams, Zimmerman, uh, Pulisic, uh, maybe, maybe long is in that conversation as well. Uh, maybe whoever's playing keeper is in that conversation as well. I don't think that this is going to be a group that has a single captain. I mean, uh, I forget it. I think it was Brian Strauss wrote the article about the, um, the, the players council and about how it's kind of a rotating armband kind of thing. And that's how they run the team internally. And, and that's how it'll be moving forward. So I, I, I'm fine with that. I don't think that this team needs necessarily a, a, a single captain. Yeah. I mean, I think internally, they probably have a few different leaders. I know on that council, right? It's like Adams, uh, Stefan, Zimmerman, maybe. Um, for me, though, it's never been a question. And I've seen Tyler Adams since he was 15 years old at the New York Red Bulls. I've watched him progress at each level. And honestly, I there were talks, uh, there were reports after Jesse Marsh went to Austria. He gave a, an interview talking about how they almost gave Tyler Adams the armband at 17 years old for the Red Bulls. But um, because there was Sasha Kleshton and Dax McCarty on the squad that also deserved it, um, they gave it to them. For me, I want it to be Tyler Adams. I think he's a great leader of men already, still at such a young age. And if anything, I just don't want Christian Pulisic to have the captain's armband. And it's not for the reasons you think. The reason why I don't Christian, want Christian Pulisic to have the armband is the same reason why I didn't want Clint Dempsey to have the armband when Jurgen Klinsmann was coach. And really that's because I don't want Pulisic to worry about anything else other than performing, scoring goals, and assisting. If he also has to worry about actively leading the team and being encouraging and being vocal, that takes a little bit of energy, as small as it may seem, away from him performing offensively. So for me, yes, it's Tyler Adams, but that hasn't really been a question, and it would take a lot to sway me away from that opinion as well. All right, one more player to talk about before we wrap it up. Luca De La Torre came on in the midfield. Uh, again, some weird situations in this game. Brendan Aronson had a cleat that was caught in his shoelace. Uh, it looked like a WWE move where they both like tried to twist their, their legs around. Um, Uruguay had an extra substitute that they made because they didn't un, uh, understand one of the comments from the officials. And so Luca De La Torre comes on as the, whether it was the additional substitute or not for the U.S., um, didn't really look like himself. We, we talked about Big Brother. Um, Luca De La Torre didn't necessarily put in the performance that a lot of people have seen over the last few games. So does that change the way that you're seeing Luca De La Torre, or is this a one-off where... It was just a weird last 20, 30 minutes, and nobody really stood out to you on the U.S. anyway. Um, Sam, maybe we'll start with you. 
Well, I'm I'm a lot different than a lot of other uh, U.S. Men's National Team fans who who uh, have Luka Del Torre in a lot higher regard. I I think that most of his appearances for the national team have been weird last twenty minutes type of things. Uh, the the game where he kind of came on uh, strong for the national team was that game against uh, Honduras. The uh, the, the cold game where Honduras pretty much gave up at halftime, uh, that was the one where everybody kind of went wild. Then he gets an opportunity against Panama where the U.S. kind of had a run of the show there. Uh, he gets that opportunity against Morocco where Morocco kind of had quit playing soccer at that point and the U.S. kind of had the run of the midfield. This is the first time we get to see Luca De La Torre in a game where the opposition is still like physically in the game uh and we started seeing him get little brother out there uh so i I think that yeah that is a concern moving forward and there's a lot of folks who uh, are reading a lot into kind of his garbage minutes uh opportunities and saying you know he deserves a start for that and and i still think that we need to see him uh in a really physical intense game and kind of see what he can do there it seems like by uh the way that i'm reading things with greg berhalter that he's a little bit further down in the pecking order than a lot of people think i mean i really came into this camp thinking that he was the uh the third eight behind musa and mckinney but it seems like uh greg has really endeavored to insert aronson into that position and aronson has not been bad in his minutes on the field um so i think it's not as cut and dry that luca della torre is like a big part of this team uh as a lot of the fans seem to believe at this point yeah you guys are right he was only on for the last few minutes i was thinking I was seeing him on the sideline trying to come into the game for like 10 minutes until they finally got a substitution on. Um, But Ryan, a lot of people were calling before this game for Luca De La Torre to potentially be the backup number six for Tyler Adams. Um, Did this sway you at all or how are you feeling towards that? So yeah, with the 85th minute sub, uh, I'm not going to take too much to be honest too. 85th minute sub, we had all talked in the Discord a little bit that this was going to go live right after the final whistle so probably around the 87th minute i was upstairs like looking at my computer so i'm gonna have to go back and actually like so yeah just all transparency i'm not gonna sit here and bullshit you and try to give you some profound take or anything yeah i was, I was definitely upstairs getting this all set up um so yeah i'll need to go back and guys need sounds... to like the video and subscribe to the channel because we're an honest bunch around here uh, but sorry, Ryan, finish your thought. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, I, you know, I think, Sam, you bring up a really good point. I hadn't taken that into consideration of the time in which he's gotten, uh, and that will cause me to go back and rewatch a little bit. I, I will say that, you know, I, I see him as a player that when we talked about in the beginning of qualifying and stuff, our biggest struggles were transitioning the ball from defense to offense and you saw us really get bogged down in the beginning granted our midfield has changed considerably since then uh you know we've really for me at least they've locked in that mma midfield and been able to progress the ball a little bit better uh so i think that the you know he's still in the 26 for me because of the skill set that he does bring to the table if we are in a position to where a team is going to bunker back a little bit and not necessarily press us and put a bunch of pressure on he's the guy that can unlock a low block or one of them so, you know, I still think he has a role on this team, but he, you know, I don't think he's usurping anybody as, you know, MMA right now. And then, like we said, you could play Geo in the middle. You could play Brendan in the middle. So there, there's a ton of options right now. But for me, Lucas still is in the squad. As far as being the backup six, uh, again, I'll have to go back and look. But it sounds like what we learned from tonight is in a physical match, you know, he's got he's to drink a couple protein shakes and eat his Wheaties before he steps out there. 
<laughs> and that might go for a few of our players. All right, guys, let's wrap up this match then. Give me the good and bad and last words. Ryan, we'll start with you, buddy. Uh, so a couple good things. One, I want to give a, a shout out to AO and the SKC fans. Uh, I thought the atmosphere was really good in the first half. It was definitely really loud. You, and it was cool to see. You could see on the, the side in which the TV was facing that whole that whole section of the stadium was on their feet for the entire first half. So cool to see an awesome home atmosphere like that for the boys. Um, and then also uh, just an interesting point that I'd love to get your guys' opinion on this. Uh, I know the team has a team barber that comes in and gives all these cuts, but uh, is anyone picking up on the the growing trend of like pseudo mullets on this team? We've got Aaron Long. Pool of six was pseudo mulletish. It looks like he cleaned it up from the first game and the second game, and then Ferreira's too. So it's uh, an interesting trend that the U.S. is coming out with. I, I don't know if I'm got enough hair to do it. I've got you know no business in the front, and uh, yeah, probably no party in the back either. I feel like Sam is the uh, fashion guru of this group, so I'm going to let you take <laughs> He's that He's the only one, one with hair, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to remember back to which team it was. I think it was the 2002 team that uh, all bleached their hair. Uh, so the U.S. men's national team has a history of uh, of coming together and, and creating solidarity through haircuts. Uh, so maybe uh, this is the, the, the 2022 version of the bleached buzz cut that we saw like Landon Donovan rock all those years ago. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's it. I, I think as far as positives to take away, especially from these first two games, I think there's a ton of positives. I think looking at uh, sort of people, what, what people thought we'd see uh, through these first two games. I mean, I don't know how many people thought that this was going to be the U.S. men's national team getting exposed over these first two games, that Morocco and Uruguay especially were going to crush the U.S., that we'd see guys like uh, like Aaron Long get exposed, like Sean Johnson get exposed. I don't think we saw any of that. I thought that we saw that there's a lot of players on this team who can contribute at a high level uh, moving forward. And I think the big takeaway is that the U.S. can create chances with some really high-quality opponents, that the U.S. can go toe-to-toe, their press can press some, some high-quality opponents, um, and, and that the U.S.'s big thing moving forward is just going to be uh, putting the ball in the back of the net. If they can if they can find anybody who can do that, and I believe that Jesus can do it if he gets it, one more opportunity. One more opportunity is going to be in the back of the net. The law of <laughs> XG has to average out at some point. There's no way it doesn't. Uh, but if they can put the ball in the back of the net, I think they can play with anybody. I thought their transition defense, which I think has been scary at times and is always going to be scary with a team that presses as aggressively as the U.S. does uh, and leaves so much space in behind. I thought it held up. And I think once again, we saw a U.S. team, a U.S. defense that uh, kind of paid, played bend but not break defense where uh, there was a couple of really good chances for Uruguay, but a lot of them were contested and a lot of them were difficult. Uh, and I think we'll continue to see that moving forward. So overall, these first two games, these games that were supposed to be the huge test for the U.S national team i think you got to be optimistic moving forward yeah too true i mean you look at some of these world cup qualifying windows and we're saying we want nine points nine points or bust uh you look at these two matches against the second best team in africa i think morocco is ranked 24th in the world uruguay is ranked 13th uh, qualified third in comable you get four points out of those games you got to be feeling pretty good especially when that same uruguay team just spanked mexico three nothing a few days earlier so that's the positive that i'm taking away from it 
Uh, quick plug, guys. If you want this Kings of CONCACAF shirt that Dam and I are wearing, make sure to go to synth76apparel.com. It's available for a limited time. I'm going to put it in the comments below and check out Sam's channel, Yank Report, to see him on there.